want you to imagine for a moment that you were to host an exchange student for the month of December in your home. This exchange student has never experienced Christmas before. He or she comes from a part of the world that doesn't celebrate Christmas, has never heard of Jesus, doesn't know anything about our Bible or our gospel, and they get to spend that entire month right here with you. What would he or she observe about Jesus by watching how you celebrate Christmas? We, of course, could ask this question maybe offered as a challenge for any given month of the year. What would someone observe about Jesus by your life? But particularly in the way that we celebrate in this particular month, by observing your family traditions and the parties that you have together and the songs you sing, the things that you do, what might that outsider learn about Jesus just by the way that you celebrate Christmas? In fact, if that exchange student were to have a sibling who was being hosted by the atheist family down the block and at the end of the month compare notes, what would they find? It's an interesting challenge, isn't it? Both Christians and non-Christians celebrate Christmas. This is just certainly true, as we know. And we even celebrate in very similar ways. We put up lights, we decorate Christmas trees, exchange presents, bake cookies. But what Christians commemorate each December is much different than what the world celebrates. If you're not a Christian and you're here with us today, I want to first say we are so glad to have you here with us. I want you to pay a special attention to the fact that as Christians, we think very seriously about what the Bible says and we, we care deeply about what God has told us about himself and us and salvation in the word the Bible. But you might be wondering, what does this guy mean by using this kind of us-them language, insider-outsider language? Well, just so that you see, this is not our intent to artificially insert this kind of distinction. I want you to see it's not contrived. I just want to read to you a quick couple of verses from Jesus' mouth in John chapter 17. He says this, of his disciples as he's praying to his father. Jesus says, I have given them, the disciples, your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus here tells us that there is a profound spiritual difference between his followers and the rest of the people of the world. And these differences should be clearly evident to everyone. Multiple times, Jesus makes comments like this. He says things like, The world will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. He says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Did you know that 9 out of 10 Americans celebrate Christmas? But a full one-third see it as a non-religious holiday. 
So we should expect that Christians would celebrate this holiday, holy day, much differently than those who don't believe in Jesus at all. My aim today is to help my Christian brothers and sisters to fix your eyes upon the true meaning of Christmas, perhaps to use Bible language, to stir you up by way of reminder. Hopefully nothing new. But this series that we've been in for two weeks now, last weekend, this weekend, and we'll conclude it on Christmas Eve, is entitled, Why We Celebrate. Why We Celebrate. My hope is that we revisit the things that you hopefully already know that we celebrate about Christmas would be helpful for us to perhaps remove distractions or maybe at least be equipped, reinforced, to battle the distractions that might seek to take our gaze off of Jesus this season. Last week, I introduced three statements, three, three things that we celebrate about Christmas that the world will, would admit they don't. I said, number one, that we celebrate on Christmas that we need a Savior. Not merely a cute story about the birth of a wise teacher during a difficult period of history. We acknowledge that we are sinners, fallen, broken, in need of a Savior, a light to come into the darkness. Second point I made is that we celebrate that we have an all-powerful God on Christmas. It means we celebrate the sovereignty of God, the fact that in the story of Christmas, we see God's hand moving in multiple different levels at the same time. We don't just celebrate coincidental happenstance that just happened to work out for us. We celebrate that God is big enough to be able to move what he wants in history to bring about his ends. Third, I said that we celebrate that Jesus was coming for joy. The news of Jesus' coming should produce joy in the hearts of people everywhere. It's not merely information giving. It's not just a satisfying intellectual question that we might be asking, but it actually should produce in our hearts joy. And it is for the greatest possible joy that we can imagine that Jesus came. Today I'm going to offer four more points to wrap up a very biblical seven in total. I want to start by praying and then look at those next four points. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I know that as we are surrounded by so many things this Christmas season, um, we need your help to redeem what is redeemable, to remind us about the true meaning of Christmas, rather than those things to just distract us. Father, this has been my prayer for this congregation, for myself and for my family since the beginning of this month since after Thanksgiving, that our, our, our church family would not be needlessly distracted from what is so beautiful and true about Christmas. And that, Lord, while we cannot keep ourselves out of this world, as Jesus said in his prayer, Father, we ask that you would help us to remain distinct from the world in how we practice our traditions and celebrate this wondrous event. Christmas season. We need your help with that. Lord, use your word to help us again today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps one of my favorite Christmas verses that doesn't take place during the Christmas story event in the gospel accounts is John 18, 37. 
This is when Jesus is preparing to die. He's on trial. This is mere hours before he will go to the cross and be crucified for the sins of all of those who will ever believe in him. And he's standing before this Roman governor named Pilate. And Pilate is questioning Jesus to find out if what he has done is worthy of his death, as he's been hearing in command from the people around him that that's what they want. During this interchange, this is what happens. John 18, 37. Then Pilate said to him, Jesus, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. As Christians, on Christmas, we celebrate truth. We celebrate truth. Throughout his life and ministry, Jesus gave several purpose statements for why he came. So what was one of the purposes that he gives, the purpose that he gives here in John 18, 37? What is the purpose for his birth? The purpose for his coming into the world, he says right there, to bear witness to the truth. He came to reveal truth, to share truth, to proclaim, bear witness to truth. The gospel that Jesus proclaimed was that we are a lost and a broken people. He proclaimed our sin and our need for repentance. He proclaimed the coming of the kingdom. That he is, in fact, the one true and only King of kings and Lord of lords coming into this world. He declared the hopelessness of people apart from him and the need for redemption by faith, belief in the only Son of God. To seek truth, quite simply, is to seek Jesus. The Apostle Paul, later in the New Testament, writes to Titus that God never lies. The author of Hebrews tells us that it is impossible for God to lie. In fact, lies are attributed to Satan. That's the language of the devil. Christmas is a resounding testimony to the truthfulness of God. Jesus came to bear witness to this truth. At Christmas, we acknowledge and celebrate this truth. Consider for a moment then. How differently Christians and non-Christians view the historical claims of the Christmas event. We view it as an entirely true event. We talk about the the parts and pieces of the nativity story. And even as Christians, sometimes we argue over, wait a second, was this here? Was this here? Uh, We look at the nativity scene. What should be present and how should we set it up? Because we acknowledge it as a true event. We want to get it right. If we were to go back in time... To that place, we would see a baby in a manger, shepherds gathered around, animals and Joseph and Mary, and we would be able to see the Magi going going to Herod and speaking to him to find this young boy and going to find him and bringing him gifts and worship. We view it as entirely true, but the world thinks of it as fiction. As Jesus' people, we crave truth. I might ask the question though, doesn't everyone crave truth? Isn't everyone ultimately seeking and wanting and desiring truth? Unfortunately, I don't think so. 
And perhaps this is even reflected a little bit in the way that the non-believing world celebrates Christmas. Have you noticed how the lore surrounding Christmas has a disproportionate amount of magic and fantasy associated with it? More so than the other holidays our country celebrates. I'm unaware of any major traditions for New Year's, Fourth of July, Thanksgiving that have fantasy and magic, supernaturalism so closely associated with them. This is actually true of our most important Christian days of remembrance. I want you to imagine for a moment the dominant images that we teach our children in order to celebrate Christmas and Easter. They are filled with supernaturalism, magic, mystery, and wonder that do not reference or honor God in any way. And what is worse, our culture teaches our children that these fantasies are not merely fun stories, but true. See how that's different? Perhaps it could be said that fantasy by itself, story by itself, is not so bad. But when we, we teach that it is true, it really is true, and it affects the real world, these fantasies, can you not see how disproportionate, how off-size that is? As Christians, we get to celebrate the coming of truth himself. That's what we celebrate. And for truth himself to be crowded out by fantasy is a shame. Jesus once said in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's another good Christmas verse that talks about this kind of love for truth. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We celebrate the coming of truth into the world. When we look at Jesus, we see very truth in a man. And not just a truth, but the truth. Definitive. Exclusive. There is no other truth. Some people get uncomfortable about the exclusive kinds of claims that Christianity holds. They say, isn't that restrictive, even, even discriminative? I want to challenge that thinking with the next point. The first point being that we celebrate truth. We celebrate true things as Christians. Second, we celebrate Jesus as a global gift. We celebrate Jesus as a worldwide gift. To say it in a different way, Jesus came to save people from every tribe and nation and tongue. Quick facts here, you know this, not everyone in the world celebrates Christmas. In fact, more than 5 billion people on earth do not celebrate Christmas. Did you know that? And even many who do celebrate it don't observe it as a celebration of Jesus' birth, which, as I said, about one-third of Americans alone. But the gospel is to be proclaimed to every man, woman, boy, and girl on this earth. And while people do get uncomfortable with the Christian claims to exclusivity, 
Some have even rightly called out certain American missionary emphases on foisting U.S. culture upon other parts of the world, perhaps founded in some cases. We do, we do want the whole world to celebrate Christmas. Are you satisfied that five billion people on this world don't celebrate Christmas? Christmas, of course, is not an American holiday. It's a Christian one. Imagine if you were to be a missionary. Go to a place that had not heard the gospel, proclaim the gospel to a lost people still in the darkness. And imagine that by God's grace, this lost people were to come to saving faith in Christ in large measure. And these people coming to their first December as Christians, get word of the rest of the Christian world celebrating Jesus' birth in that month. And they ask you, should we celebrate Jesus' coming? Perhaps your first reaction, I think, would be a right one. Of course you should celebrate Jesus' coming. And you may know that many people wonder and speculate whether December 25th is the date and whether that is the most correct date. You might say, the Bible doesn't tell us the date. But for us to to set apart a day and even a month to think and celebrate specifically about that would be wonderful for you to do. And then they were to say, how? What would you tell them? I did this exercise for myself this last week, and I was thinking about this. What, what would I tell them? Would I, would I say, find, find a pine tree and cut it down? Would I say, find, find lights and put them? I say, give each other gifts. Let me say, maybe. But what, what, what it draws out for us, what it might evoke in your mind is that the things that Americans consider Christmas things very often might not have anything to do with Jesus' coming. Can you imagine celebrating Christmas without those things that for you are family tradition? Would it still feel like Christmas for you without those things? Now, I want to make something clear. I I, I don't mean to try to dismantle all family and culture tradition around Christmas. That's not my intent at all. I think you can have many of those things and then be used and served by you, by God in his service of you to remember truth about that day and to celebrate it well. I think that can. But I have a hard time imagining Christmas without snow. And yet half the world celebrates, who celebrates Christmas celebrates without snow. Could we do it? The answer, of course, is yes. I want you to consider this real quick. Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20. I want to read this out loud to you and then show you something here. This is is what happens to the angels. Remember the the nativity story. Remember the Christmas night story where the angels appear to shepherds in the night outside of Bethlehem proclaiming glory to God in the highest and tell them of this baby to be found in swaddling cloths. And this is what it says, picking up in that story right after the angels share these things. Luke 2, 15 through 20. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, 
Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The most biblically founded, Christ-exalting Christmas traditions that exist are worship and gospel proclamation. That's what we have. Worship, glorifying and praising God, and telling others. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They couldn't not tell what they had heard and what they had seen. There are people who do not yet celebrate Christmas today all around the world. Five billion of them, as we've already said. People that Jesus came to save. We want them to join us. We want Christmas to spread around the world in real celebration. And by real, Bible-founded celebrating of worship and multiplying disciples. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Let Christmas spur on our evangelism. We celebrate Jesus as our global gift. Number three, we celebrate that God became man. We celebrate that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And we, we, we see this and we can proclaim it with a kind of clarity around Christmas in a special way. You know, there are many other world religions that have found a place for some version of Jesus. Most, if you were to study it, most major world religions have a doctrine of Jesus. Even those who'd come after Jesus and were made after the time of Jesus coming on this earth have acknowledged the kind of power and presence of Christianity in the world and so have come up with certain ways to describe this Jesus character. Both Hinduism and Buddhism, for example, have acquisitioned the idea of Jesus and even the name oftentimes and created characters in their religions that can be associated with Jesus. But they all, all these other world religions, reject either one or both of Christ's natures. Read Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It's a sort of Christmas passage as well. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We've read this verse many different times at this church. I've tried to explain that that Greek term for grasp is kind of the seizing hold of, I'm thinking of like a child who refuses to let go of his favorite toy. That's the kind of grasping. Jesus did not see it as something, no, no, I'm not giving this up. No, I'm not going down to that earth. That's not the picture. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by, be by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, who did not stop being God, but added to his perfect equality with God a human nature, who in humanness is not equal with God, Jesus took on human nature. We've been in the book of Hebrews as a church for a little while now. You remember that chapter one, we went to great lengths to see how the author made it clear to show that the Old Testament proclaims that Jesus is fully God, right? Equality with God kind of portion of Philippians 2. That's, that's chapter one of Hebrews. But chapter two goes on to show us that Jesus was fully human, When we walked through that, I showed you four reasons that the author provides as to why Jesus became human. Here are the four that he says in in chapter 2 of Hebrews. So that Jesus could fully identify with us, call us brothers unashamed. Second, so that he could become our high priest. There's only human high priests. No animal high priests, no angel high priests, human high priests. Third, so that he could help us when we are being tempted. And lastly, and most importantly, so he could die. Those are the four reasons given in Hebrews 2. And in order to accomplish those things, the author there made it clear that he could not just become partially one of us. This is why at Christmas, when we celebrate the virgin birth, we're looking at something supernatural for a reason. It wasn't just like God was like, ah, oh, virgin birth might make sense. Might as well do something different, unique. It really, really matters. Christmas, Christmas remembers that God took on flesh. The virgin birth provides the only way that this could happen. I want you to imagine for a moment if Jesus was born through natural conception. Just Mary and Joseph had a baby. Got married, had a baby. Jesus is the baby. What might people think? They would deny that Jesus was, in fact, God. In fact, for the record, because people doubted the virgin birth and thought that Mary and Joseph did, in fact, sleep together, this is what they thought during his life. He was the illegitimate child of an unmarried couple. No person in Jesus' day thought he wasn't human. That wasn't the Pharisees' claim. That wasn't the Romans' claim. It was you, a mere man, make yourself out to be God. If he was born only through natural conception, we today would clearly struggle with how is is that God if he's born exactly like us? I want you to imagine the other side. If Jesus just appeared on our earth, maybe like Adam, the first man who was formed from the dust of the ground, not born, no conception there, just made or or appeared in in his mid-20s or maybe appeared at 30 years old or even as a child, and then just walked into Nazareth or just walked into Bethlehem or maybe even Jerusalem. People would deny that he was, in fact, human, right? He'd be like this otherworldly being who is, he's not human, he's not one of us. He wasn't born here. The virgin birth provides the two necessary guardrails against thinking wrongly about the nature of Jesus. Fully God, fully man. Actually born here. 
yet supernaturally of a woman and yet of the Holy Spirit. One of us, one of heaven. St. Augustine wrote this about the virgin birth. Regarding Jesus, a great Christmas quote, he was created of a mother whom he created. He was carried by hands that he formed. He cried in the manger in wordless infancy. He, the word, without whom all human eloquence is mute. This is the way we see Jesus. Christmas is an especially appropriate time for us to think about God become man. We celebrate that God became a man, and this is unique. We celebrate this. The world does not celebrate this. Remember that this year. Fourth and final, we celebrate the giving of the greatest gift. We celebrate the giving of the greatest gift. Have you ever gotten a gift that outshone all the other gifts? You ever gotten a Christmas gift woken up and that? If that one's there, who cares about the rest? But if that one's not there, who cares about the rest? I want to ask you for a moment. What is the greatest gift that could be given? What is the greatest gift that could be received? Is it eternal life? It's a pretty good gift. Is it freedom from sin? Pretty amazing gift. Is it victory over Satan? Wonderful gift. The greatest gift is God. There is nothing greater that exists. So the greatest gift to give is the greatest thing that exists. God gave his only son. God gave God to the world. Jesus is the greatest gift. He did not come to tell us about another greater gift. He was the gift. God gave himself to the world. We, we looked at this verse last week. It's hard to not see it now. It's, it's a Christian Favored, and it should be, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He didn't give the eternal life, it doesn't say here. It wasn't that he gave the belief, it's that he gave his only son. That's the gift. That's what is the gift, giving of his son. Jesus was gifted to the world. I want to look at another one in John chapter 1. This is about... This is about John the Baptist. Jesus will later say is the greatest man born of woman. John 1 says this about him. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, is John the Apostle. He's writing about John the Baptist. Two different Johns. He says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. John was not the light but came to bear witness about that light, the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into 
the world. God sent a special herald, the final merely human prophet, John the Baptist, to proclaim the coming of Jesus, the true light which enlightens everyone. Isn't it amazing? The, the greatest man born of woman, Jesus calls him. And he tells us of the greatest, I'm not the great gift, the real one is coming. It's especially suitable. There are many false versions of Christianity that do not see Jesus as the greatest gift. And I don't just mean out there. I mean that invades our minds as believers. We must caution ourselves from thinking that there's something better than the gift. Listen, the wrapping paper is never better than the gift inside. Jesus is the greatest gift. He is the true light. If you are a Christian saved by grace through faith, you get Jesus. What more is there? What could be better than the best? There isn't anything more than that. There isn't anything greater. In fact, I'll state this as a challenge. If you can imagine a better gift than Jesus, then you don't know him. The world does not celebrate Jesus as the greatest gift. Sometimes they might even try to acknowledge truisms to this figure of Jesus. Sometimes they might do that and say, well, look at the good he brought. He brought, he brought uh, 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 eternal life. He brought, he brought hope. He brought love. He brought good teaching. And all of those are true. But he brought himself. He is the great gift. Our battle against distractions in our Christian life. As I said last week, I think are greater this time of year than most other times of the year. My wife and I, we battle this in December, I think more than any other month. Trying to find ways to keep our eyes and the eyes of our children fixed on Jesus, of ourselves fixed on Jesus. We tried to leverage all kinds of things to help in that, to aid in that. Some, some admittedly have backfired. Oh, that wasn't, as, that wasn't as helpful as we thought. Maybe not for next year. Have you done this? Has this it's been a part of your life and thinking? If I were to return back to the, to the intro challenge I offered for you, if a person were to observe your life just in the month of December, what would they learn about Jesus? What would they learn about the gospel? What is present in your life because you're a believer in December that wasn't there before you were a believer? This is the challenge that we carry today. I have great respect for my wife who thinks very sensitively about this kind of thing this time of year. We actually have, uh, I, I posted at the Mission Church on the pastor's blog a post actually last Christmas. People were asking, what kind of things do you guys do as a family to try to keep your kids and yourself fixed on Jesus? And we posted this post. My wife had, 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 uh, had written this up and I just... I put it on there. It gives some very specific details for parents to see some ideas that we have found helpful and other things we haven't found so helpful hopefully might be very practical service to you. But we're in the last couple of days before we get to Christmas Eve and then Christmas. It's where the culmination of all the celebrating lands when we get to Christmas morning. And what's it going to look like? What's Christmas Eve going to be like? What would your family take away from those moments. What do we think most about? I hope that you understand that my great desire 
in this short Christmas sermon series that we've done this year is not to attack the cultural symbols of Christmas. That's not my hope or goal in any way. But it is my hope to stir up in you such a love for truth and Jesus and what God really sent, the greatest gift on that day, that we would over time be slowly adjusting and changing and and working on the ways that we celebrate to more keep that front and center. There are some things this season that could rob you of joy. And there are things this season that could help point you to great joy. And my prayer is that you'll have the latter rather than the former. Let's pray. Father, this season, we acknowledge as a church these great things. We thank you, Lord, that because of your great love for us, you have sent Jesus to bear witness to the truth. Lord, we we thank you that Jesus is a global gift, that there are people all over the world who do not yet know him, do not know the truth of what we celebrate. And Lord, we ask that you would help us be a part of that global reach, that we would use Christmas in our life and in conversation with other people to produce worship and evangelism in us. Father, we ask that you would help us to to think deeply upon the fact that Jesus became man, that he is fully God, fully man, and a profound mystery yet clearly revealed. Father, we ask that you'd help us to celebrate your son as the greatest gift ever given. Lord, we thank you that you are such a good God that you do not withhold the greatest thing, but you give us the greatest thing. Creatures could not possibly receive anything better. Father, please help us to eliminate obstacles from seeing that. Help us to deal with objections in our heart and in our mind from inside or or from outside that keep us from seeing that truth. Let us be a people that proclaims the majesty of heaven even more so on these kinds of days when we have suitable, helpful, cultural cues that lead us to those points of conversation. Father, we submit these things to you and we ask that you would gift us again this Christmas with the knowledge of these things that our love for you would grow and that others would see it. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.